I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to The Trader, a trader's podcast. My name's Matthew and I'm a writer working in TV development and I am a handy faithful. The Trader features deep dives into every episode of the hit TV competition series The Traitors as well as interviews with contestants from the shows. And this is season three of the podcast dedicated to The Traitors Australia. If you've just listened to the episode 8 edition of the podcast, then you will know that faithful Dirk Strachan was sadly banished. You may even still be in mourning. But to alleviate that, you can hear much more from him right now, because I spoke to Dirk recently all about his time on the show and about all the secrets we didn't see in the televised episodes. You are in for a treat. Let's go ahead and listen to that conversation now. My super special guest is Dirk Strachan Thornton. Dirk made it all the way to episode 8 of the show before being wrongly banished simply because he forgot for a moment about murder. Dirk. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you, Matthew. How are you? Oh, I'm doing really well. I, I generally ask guests, where in the world are you? And the furthest away it's been so far has been LA. But now everyone I'm speaking to this season is just about as far away as we could get. Um, where where in Australia are you, Dirk? Uh, so I'm in Melbourne, Victoria. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I, there's got to be some Scottish connection I've struck in this part of your surname. Is is that the case? It is. Uh, it was also nearly part of the game. Um, so <laughs> I'm actually from Scottish aristocracy. Oh, very yeah. impressive. Okay. Oh well, I, I'm, I'll have to, I'll have to like call you sir or something like that. I don't know. Uh, now, before we go any further and talk more about the traitors, I'm going to introduce you to our game, which is called the Trader Traitor. 
our secret mission for the rest of this episode is to try to betray one another by telling an undetected lie. You can tell me something about the show, about yourself, or anything else that's a complete fabrication. For example, you could tell me that Chloe ate a whole pineapple every day at breakfast. However, your lie can't be a fake opinion, like saying you thought Chloe was mad for eating a whole pineapple every day for breakfast, when actually your true opinion is that you really admired her. So we're looking for fake facts. Does this make sense, Dirk? Absolutely, yes. Fantastic. And I will be lying to you at some point as well. So our game begins now. Uh, so firstly, Dirk, how, how did you get involved with the traitors? How did you find out about it? How did you apply? So <clears throat> I was just sitting at home one night, uh, doom scrolling through Instagram, and an advertisement came up for... It, it literally just said super secret casting opportunity and had like this picture of a dilapidated house. And I just thought, well, what is this about? So I just like had a look, was reading through it. And I'm, I'm a very sort of like information-based person. So if there's not a lot of information, I will just ignore it. But for some reason, this sort of intrigued me. And I was reading through it and then it said apply. And I was like, oh God, I bet this is just going to be something terrible. Sure. Let me go through the application. And the next thing I know, like two hours later, I had finished the application questionnaire, which was basically just a whole bunch of psychological questions, which I found entertaining. So I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to get a weird result at the end. <laughs> and then it was just kind of like, okay, thanks. I was like, oh, all right. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then two weeks later, I got a phone call from someone from Endemol Shine um, asking me about my application and if I wanted to go any further. And I thought, oh, this actually sounds legit then. Um, spoke to them for a bit, organized a meeting over Zoom that day and had to have a meeting with some casting agents for it. Um, and this was back in February of last year. And then... From then, it just became like the occasional phone call, the occasional Zoom meeting. Um, a while later, I was invited to a hotel in the city to have an online interview with the casting agents and the producers in Sydney. Um, and then I think I was at work and then I got a phone call saying, look, you're, you're probably going to get cast in it, but we can't verify it for another month. So then it was just like back and forth, back and forth, lots of phone calls, checking in. I had to do a full-on psychological test with the therapist. I had to do a full medical test. And then I got a, another random phone call a while later saying, oh, yep, you've been cast in it. We're going to start filming your segments in a couple of weeks. Wow. I was like, oh, okay. And, still, and right up until then, I had no idea what the show was. Yeah. So, yeah. At, at some point, did, they, did you watch you know, the, the Dutch version of the show or anything like that to get a handle on it? So I couldn't find it at all. When they finally told me what the show was, I, and they're like, oh, it's kind of like The Mole, which we had in Australia. I was like, oh, that was, that came out when I was very young. I don't remember watching it at all. So I watched a couple of clips from it and I was just like, oh, this is so trash. Like, I just, <laughs> I'm not really a reality TV person. Like, I, the most I'll ever watch is Below Deck and the occasional Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do a bit of research on this. Maybe I should just go in blind. But yeah, it was kind of, I just thought, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in blind. I'm not going to research this at all. Okay. So yeah. So 
so far on the podcast, we've been working through each episode of the show, and I have various questions to ask you about things that happened at different times. Um, firstly, MK's epic breakfast speeches. Um, <laughs> I felt uncomfortable as a viewer. How how uh, awkward was that to to listen to MK's speeches? Look, MK is quite the character. Um, from the get-go, both Lewis and I thought he was the butler of the hotel <laughs> because he was the first person that sort of got up and greeted everyone. The way he was dressed, I I can't remember which order I came into the, the hotel, but it was stupid early o'clock and I was very tired. And it was just from being at like three days of lockdown going into this sort of baptism by fire of filming, having someone like MK sort of bombard you with this presence. I was like, oh God, is everyone going to be like this? And then he was, he seemed very sure of himself and very chatty and very, just very confident with everything, which is never a bad thing. But it immediately made me think that he wasn't a cast member. I actually thought he was planted in the, in the groove because I'm like, this person can't be real. They must be following a <laughs> script. And then you know, in a, every morning at breakfast when he would sort of make his speech, the first one was kind of like, oh, this is this is entertaining. But then it kept happening and we were just like, oh, my God, MK, this is not the way to, to prove you're innocent. And then at one point I turned, I can't remember who I was sitting next to, but I turned to him and was like, wait, is he a lawyer? If he was a lawyer, I would just go straight to jail. Like, there is no <laughs> way I would want him defending me. But yes, it was very chaotic. I actually have a couple of questions from listeners. I have a question from Lindsay. Lindsay has co-hosted the podcast with me on a few occasions. Um, and Lindsay asks something about another contestant who we didn't see very much of because they left so early on. She asks, did you come under the death stare of Jack? And did you feel like it might set you on fire? <laughs> <laughs> I'm only laughing because I just listened to the podcast this morning where you were <laughs> losing it for a good five minutes about Jack setting you on fire. <laughs> um, I never caught his stare, but what I will admit, and I, I'm fairly sure I've told Jack this, so if he is listening, I do apologise, but the first thing I thought when I saw him was, he'd make a fantastic drag queen. <laughs> I was like, his bone structure was so sharp. Um I'm not sure if I believed that he was a chess player at first. I thought, how can that really be a thing? Um, but I never really caught his gaze. I think when he was doing that death stare at the table, I was way down the other end. So I was a little preoccupied about finally eating some hot food <laughs> and having a coffee. I didn't notice it at all. The only time Jack really ever came under the radar was when we decided we are going to vote for him at banishment. Okay. No death stare, but some career advice about drag. Uh, yeah. That's that sounds good. Um, can you please tell us about your hotel room at night shots? You're like preparing for bed shots. Um, how did they direct you with that? Like, did it feel a bit daft? <clears throat> it was the weirdest thing. So we we spend a lot of time <clears throat> in lockdown in those hotels without any human interaction. And all of a sudden, I got a knock at my door, and it was three, three producers, like three crew members, two of which I've never met before. And they're like, "Oh, we're just going to film some bedroom shots." And I was like, "What kind of, what kind of show is this?" <laughs> um, and it was the weirdest thing. Like, it was the middle of the day, but I had to put my pajamas back on. They blacked out the windows to make it look like night. Um, 
the first one that I did was in my first room and I had to pretend that I heard a sound at the door and like look up while I was reading a book about Buckingham Palace of all things. Um, then I had to like sit by the window and then look through the window. It was, for me, it didn't feel unnatural because I have an acting background. So working with the crew there, it was a breeze for me because I was just like, oh yeah, like where's my sightline? Where do you want me to cheat? All this sort of stuff. I had no idea what it was though. I'm just like, why are we, why are we doing this? Like, why are we filming? Um, another one that I had to do was getting up and looking out of a window in this library room, which I've never seen before, and then being shocked and then having to run down the hallway. It was all very weird. Um, and it wasn't until the the show went to air that I actually realised, oh, okay, that's when you come under suspicion for murder and they're doing that. So all the beautiful shots that I did weren't ever shown because yeah. it also what's interesting is they filmed a lot of them for me after I had finished in the show. So it was, it was a bit bizarre. And like you said, I, I guess you, maybe more than other people, would you know, you, you have a background in performance, so maybe you were a little bit more used to that. And you, but you obviously made a conscious decision not to tell the other players about that. Um, wh- why was that? Um, from the, it's very interesting. So my entire backstory changed less than 24 hours before we started filming. So originally I was actually going to be British and an, <laughs> an aristocrat. So my family is aristocratic and, you know, we, we quite normal for an aristocratic family, but I was going to don this entire character. Like I'd worked with the uh, producers about it and I was going to go in and be like a semi-royal kind of fish out of water, very posh. So that when we had to do a lot of the challenges, they would either be surprised that I was ready to sort of get down and dirty, but secretly I would be like doing my pieces to camera with my Australian accent and just there to cause confusion and drama. Um, Then it was, just before we started filming um, and the two executive producers came into my room and they're like, look, we don't have clearance from your family to actually to do this. So then we had to come up with a whole new story. So they knew that I had hotel experience in the past of working as a concierge. I'm like, what if you go in as a hotel concierge, but you're secretly an actor. So your emotions and everything can be heightened up. And, you know, if you're chosen to be a trader, it's easy for you to hide like how guilty you are and I thought it was going to be fantastic and great and the main reason why I didn't want to reveal that I was an actor is simply because and we saw this in the UK version as well um I can't remember her name but she was in EastEnders and Maddie Maddie and she didn't reveal that she was an actor because she didn't want people to think she was fake with her emotions um and it worked in my favour because I was able to sort of cry on cue at any chance and act shocked and surprised. Um, it just didn't really work in my favour that I ended up being a faithful, so it just looked like I had something to hide. So it was a, it's, it was a bit hit and miss, but, yeah, I just didn't want people to think I was fake when yeah. I was playing the game. Yes, that makes sense. Now, I, I can't possibly not ask you a couple of questions about one of the most crucial characters in the Traitors of Australia, and that is Chloe, Chloe the Clairvoyant. <laughs> Firstly, can you clear up one of the internet's wild rumours that, that Chloe was a plant? Um, what, what I think one of the pieces of evidence people have for claiming this is that when she named Traitors, 
she named four of them and there were four um what what's you know, did, did you know there were four traitors, or was that just uh, a coincidence? So here's a bit of truth. She actually named five. Ah. Um, so she said the four names, and then during the banishment, she said, and one more person who I like and I'm not going to name. So she did actually say there were five. Um, there's, there was a lot of Chloe that was never shown. I can 100% confirm that she was not a plant. Um, one of the most, and, and, and this is so frustrating because I was so sure that this would be aired and it would be incredible, but for some reason it was never shown. When Chloe voted for Jack, she made this big prediction and part of it was included. So she said, I think on the episode, it just says, I've consulted my spirit guides and they told me to go with Jack. Yeah. What she actually said that was edited and it's, incredibly dramatic she actually said i've consulted my spirit guides and i'm sitting about three people down from her so i rolled my eyes because i was like oh here we go again (laughs) and she said and my spirit guides have told me he had it coming he had it coming he only had himself to blame life is a cabaret because jack you're a cabaret performer and i am so surprised that no one else in that room saw how shocked i was at this because Obviously, I've come in as an actor. I had just finished doing a production of Chicago before I came in. Oh, wow. And I'm a cabaret performer, and my stage name is Jack London. Oh, yeah, of course. So her entire prediction was 100% about me, but obviously she saw someone whose name was actually Jack and just aimed it at them. Because I I do believe people have a gift and everything. Um, I don't go as far as people charging money for it, because I think that's just a bit of a snake oil merchant thing. Mm -hmm. But I just think she was in an environment that was very overwhelming for her gift. So she had a lot of voices kind of screaming the same things. She didn't know where to direct it. So there were a lot of things she said that were correct. And I remember going in to do my uh, confessional piece to camera and freaking out about what she had said about Jack. And I just said, okay, well, I've got to pretend that she's not real anymore. Like I've got to pretend that she's not legit. And, you know, she was so wrong about aiming it at Jack that, okay, great. Anything else she says, people aren't going to sort of believe. Um, Cause she'd also spoken to me a couple of times throughout uh, the first couple of days and made some predictions about my personal life that were very true. Um, and we, we kept in touch long after the episode as well. And I just said, look, I 100% believed you. When I told her what she said was about me, she's like, I knew it. So <laughs> I I definitely believe she was real. And I was really upset the way that she left. Um, I would have loved to have seen her a lot further in that game. I yeah. She would have done really well. That's very interesting to hear um, because, yeah, there were in the program, it, 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 the appearance was that you were really not convinced by her like when you were doing the train challenge and she was making her predictions about how you would all win um so yeah that's uh and i i sort of i spoke a little bit about this on previous episodes i wondered if chloe left because she was getting things wrong and that was sort of embarrassing that you know that was going to be shown on tv we we did say to her a lot that we were getting a bit frustrated that anything that she said was always from her spirit guides. We were never really believing that anything she was saying was, was from her own opinion. Um, 
And I think I think it was Justine or Fee brought it up a few times at banishment or the pre-banishment, just saying, look, you say that you have things to share, but we want to hear what Chloe has to say, not what these spirit guides have to say. Like we're in a hundred year old hotel that's probably had many many ghosts you we want to hear what chloe has to say um and i think especially that night that she left it was a very very intense banishment it was it was one of the first times that we actually had to stop production twice because of arguments breaking out um and i think it was just really intense for her and people were getting really anxious and in sort of hostile and it just was not the best environment for her. I think a few of us actually were ready to call it quits then. I know Fee had to leave the room at one point and we had to do a production break and I had to regain composure and I actually had exec producers and HR in my room afterwards asking if I was okay because I may have lost my temper with MK. So it was a very hostile night and I think she made the right choice to leave when she did. Um, but I would have loved to have seen her just be more authentic and say more opinions from herself and not from her spirit guides. I think that's where the problem was because we just yeah. couldn't believe it. Yeah. Now, I mentioned the the train challenge. Uh, you you were very good in the paintball challenge um, and you seemed quite surprised with yourself. What, what was your favourite and least favourite challenge? Um... I think my favorite challenge, I really enjoyed the the first one we did at night. I wasn't a fan that it was at night because it was really cold because <laughs> um, it was all filmed in the Southern Highlands of New South Wales. So it is, and it was all done in winter. So it was freezing cold. Um, I also, I loved the fact that it was very creepy and, you know, we were, we were in a graveyard and there were smoke machines going off. It was very like Hollywood horror film and it was just i was in my element really um and i think that challenge was great because it wasn't very physical even though we had to run through a forest it was very puzzle solving and everything and i did get to have a very sassy moment where i kind of took the walkie-talkie off jack and was just like actually <laughs> this is what the shape is forget deathly hollow deathly like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i think that was probably one of my favorites i Oh, actually, I really loved the catapult challenge as well. That was a lot of fun. We got to actually do that four times, which is great. My least favorite was the prison break challenge, which I think was my last one. Um, I don't, I don't run. I'm not a fit person, and <laughs> constantly, constantly sprinting through that prison, I actually, I actually fainted um, twice because I lost oxygen. Um, <laughs> because I was just not used to running and we're in such high altitude as well. And again, freezing cold. And I was put up with Stuart who, not Stuart, Lewis, who sprints every day. So I didn't have the, the best partner to match my physical abilities there. <laughs> but I think all the challenges were great because it was stuff that I would never have done outside of the game. Yeah. And I mean, as, as a viewer from the UK, I think a lot of us really liked watching the Australian challenges because they seemed like they were on a, a slightly bigger scale than the UK and the US ones. So that was that was enjoyable for us. Um, my next question is my most serious question of all the questions I have to ask you. How handsome was Roger in reality and did he ever write you a real love letter? 
Look, Roger and I have actually worked together a few times before. So when I when I found out that he was hosting it, I was like, oh, this is going to be my biggest challenge, pretending that I don't know him. Um, and I think the, it, he's so dreaming in person. Like, obviously, the camera does wonders for you. Um, <laughs> you can tell it's had a bit of work done. No, um, <laughs> it's, it's surprisingly how grey he went after the show finished. But he told me which hair colour he uses, so I'm going to start using that soon. <laughs> But he is just devilishly, devilishly charming. He's such a professional as well. Like there will be times we have to do multiple takes of the same thing, and he just picks it up straight away. He hasn't unfortunately written me a real love letter, but I do still have that letter in my possession that okay. I found on the concierge desk. Yes. Well, there's still time. Uh, maybe Chloe can see that in your future. We should consult. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you were really the sort of the standout humorous person for me you really made me laugh with all of your comments throughout the episodes and and your interviews and you know while you were playing the game in the hotel and obviously you're used to performing um however that maybe then caused a problem because kate brought up your name quite early on she thought you were you know going under the radar um and alex suspected you for this reason too before she became a traitor um she thought that you were too carefree do, do you sort of regret you know being you know behaving like that being funny it's it's a very weird thing so i i think a lot of us went into the game thinking that we would be the best player ever um how the game was described to us is very very different than what actually happened um and I think as well, like, as I mentioned, the, the lead up is so isolating when we were kept in our hotel rooms outside of location for days on end. And then to walk into this beautiful setting with about 20 cameras in your face that you have to ignore, it really kind of just shocks you a bit. And it kind of pulled me out of my game plan a little bit. And I think meeting everyone and sort of seeing all these different personalities and then going into the banishment room and you kind of have a one person that kind of takes charge of each banishment. And I found myself just kind of taking a seat back because as I mentioned, like I'm very information based and I was looking around going, I have, I have no idea who I think a traitor would be. And I just don't want to throw out baseless accusations because then what if that makes me look guilty or, or makes me a candidate for murder? So I was sort of listening to what a lot of other people would saying, and then be like, oh, actually, no, I, I agree with that, which someone did mention to me just looked like I was going with the flow and had no original opinions of myself. Um, the really shocking thing with Kate's first vote for me is that she she did say that she suspected me, but she threw my name out there just to see how other people would react, to see if they'd pick up the bait. And I really had an issue with that because I'm like, well, hold on, but you don't actually think I'm a traitor, but now you've thrown my name out there. So that, of course, made me think that she was a traitor. And it turns out we were both wrong. But <laughs> um, yeah, it was just, it was really frustrating not having a clear idea and then going into that room and being like, oh God, what am I going to get accused of now? Um, and I had Mitty accusing me of being a traitor because I looked at the chandelier um, because that was a distraction technique, apparently. Um, 
And what also frustrated me is people said I was so carefree when I was going in, but I was panicking the whole time. I had like stress oil in my pocket that I was constantly rubbing on my temples, like between takes. And I remember sitting there looking at Paul, who was just so casual and cavalier, and Mark, who was always smiling and joking. And I was like, how come they're never being accused of sort of coasting on by? But it was a bit of a plan to try and get as far as I could go without causing any attention mm-hmm. and then kind of going in for the the attack. But it's you can never predict anything in that room. So there's no point planning anything whatsoever. Yeah. And that all sort of came to head around episode seven when it really seemed like people were all going to vote for you. And there tends to be a trend in the traitors for players that... Defending yourself at the round table rarely works um, unless you throw someone else under the bus. But you did a really good job of this. In episode seven, you you kind of talked your way out of everyone voting for you through what seemed like sheer willpower. Um, could you could you talk to us a little bit about you know what was your thought thought process? How how did you how did you deal with it? I the weird thing is I. And by that stage, I was convinced that it was the end for me. Um, the That pre-banishment when people are like, oh, your name has come out a bit, completely caught me off guard. And I was panicking so much. Um, and I was going around being like, oh, I had no idea people had these opinions and people were so suspicious of me. And I thought, I've, I've not done anything wrong. And... I remember sitting with Alex and she said, you know, there have been a couple of things that you've said that just seem that you're not taking this very seriously. And I was like, well, it's just my coping mechanism of joking my way through the sheer terror, basically. Um, So it got to the point where I just thought, oh, I I can't. I've seen how vicious these people get in the banishment room. I'm not going to be able to save myself. So I was fully prepared to go home and I prepared this speech that I was going to give. And I thought, well, no, if I'm going out... I'm going out with dignity and I'm not going to try and take anyone down with me. I'm just going to be like, hey, here's why you think I'm a traitor. Here's why I'm not a traitor. Do with that information what you wish and I'll bow out gracefully. Um, and it it just so happened that around that same time, Matt was causing a lot of commotion by sort of being MK 2.0 with his constant barragements to people saying, oh, you know, we need to take Teresa down. And I, no one thought except Kate, thought that Teresa was a traitor. (laughs) Um, And it was just sort of chaos everywhere. And I had at one point, Matt was trying to tell me, oh, you know, you should save yourself by voting for Teresa. And I thought, what a completely stupid plan. Like, that's just going to make me look so guilty. Um, So I, I was, you know, prepared to go down and everything. And I went back to my room because we had a little break between the pre banishment talks and the actual banishment itself. And I was in my room, literally packing my suitcases and coming up with this sort of speech that I was going to deliver. And then, yeah, got, we got called down and it was just a weird sort of out-of-body experience. I wasn't really connecting with anyone. I was very quiet and reserved. And we went into the banishment and, yeah, I think Roger sort of opened the floor and I just sort of said, hey, everyone's been talking about me. and. <laughs> I was actually quite relieved and surprised and grateful that I was able to deliver this like 10 minute speech without anyone interrupting me. Obviously it got edited because they've got to get all the show in. And the first person who sort of chimed in was the very person who was accusing me, which was Fee. 
And she just said, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of how you've just spoken. That's incredible. Like a lesser person would have gone down fighting, but you've explained yourself so beautifully well. And then like a knight in shining armor, Matt just piped in with one of his theories again, and it just pulled <laughs> all of the attention from me straight onto him. And I think you can even see in one of the takes, I completely break character and I just start giggling because I'm like, I'm, I'm safe. I'm not going home tonight. <laughs> and you can see the exact moment where I've just realized, oh, brilliant. I'm here for another day. Um, yeah. But the chaotic thing after that was, I just thought, oh no, I'm going to have to do this all again and reword it to try and save myself again. And it was, it was exhausting, like having to deliver that huge speech and then having people after the banishment saying, you know, oh, I'm happy that you're still here. And, you know, Fee saying, well, you're not off my radar yet. And I thought, oh God, I've got, I have to use all my energy to defend myself again. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. So it, yeah, it became a really sort of frustrating moment for me because I thought I'm safe, but it, at what cost? Like, I don't know if I can keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sense of frustration came across for viewers as well, that, um, it seemed like, you know, Fee had kind of made her mind up and there was probably never going to be anything to change that. So you're, you know, one episode later, you ended up banished and it all seemed to boil down to just one single comment you made that Fee would not let go of because you said that you'd forgotten about murder. It was it was so frustrating to watch. And even in, I, I think this has happened a couple of times in the Traitors. In the Spanish Traitors, something like this happened where, well, tra tra Traitors España, I should call it. One of the players, they, they just said the wrong word. They meant to say, they were talking to a group of others and they said, I'm... They meant to say, I'm not a traitor. And they said, I'm not a faithful and in Spanish. And everyone sort of was like, what? You said the wrong thing. And that was just the end of it. So, you know, is, did, you, did there come a point where you just knew, I mean, you've kind of just said this, but was there a point where you realized that they are never going to stop talking about this? I'm done. The hardest part of all that was I literally, like, I literally never said those words. Um, and it's so frustrating because you even look at the exact clip where um, we're at the shield challenge and Fee turns to Nigel and says, he's not even thinking about being murdered. Like, Dirk, he's not even worried about being murdered. And I'm like, I'm sorry, roll the clip back 30 seconds. I never said that. I said, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting about that. And you see me smile. And it's, again, it's frustrating because the previous um, link to that was edited out. But I was talking with a couple of other people and we are talking about just questioning about the whole murder thing because we never knew when do they tell you that you've been murdered? Is it when you're on your way to breakfast? Is it after banishment? Is it in the middle of the night? Do they jump into your room and scream at you? Um, <laughs> and I just said, look, it's the whole murder thing is actually causing me a lot of stress and anxiety and it's distracting me from playing the game. So I'm actually getting into the, the mind where I pretend that it's not part of it and it doesn't exist. So then if I do get murdered, it just, oh, that's right. And I had joked about this with a couple of people in the car trips to the challenges and just said, oh, murder. Oh, no, that doesn't exist, remember? And it was my coping mechanism to sort of focus on the game. So when Alex, I thought it was Alex who said, oh, no, don't go for me. I said, well, no one's going to go for you. And they said, well, but I might get murdered. I said, oh, that's right. We keep forgetting about that. Literally turned to the person that I was talking to about it previously. We kind of chuckled to each other. And then that's when Fee turned and the whole witch hunt started. And yeah. 
what's so frustrating is that what she was accusing me of, I literally never said. And every time I tried explaining it to her, like I was at breakfast one morning and I said, can I just clarify? And I said the exact same story again. And before I could even finish it, she just said, no, I'm not believing you. I don't, I'm not buying it. I'm like, well, would you like me to finish what I was saying? And she just refused to listen. And I thought, okay, she's no, she doesn't want to look foolish for listening to the wrong thing. So she's just going to keep lying. Mm-hmm to send another faithful home. And I remember having my my chat with the producers that night during my um, sort of to camera piece. And it was hilarious because they just like, okay, well, you delivered such a heartfelt speech last night. What if tonight you kind of went in a different direction and just took no prisoners and called everyone out for their, for their BS and, you know, sort of, sort of acted like a bitch. And I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> bring it on so we went into that management and straight away i just looked at fee and you could tell she was getting ready to deliver speech and she went into her usual rant where she has a very misplaced sense of self-assuredness and and i should preface this by saying i absolutely do adore fee she's one of the strongest women i know in that game and I would never want to be in a fight with her, but there is no one else (laughs) I would rather have my back in a bar fight. She's incredible when she has an opinion and will go for it, which is something that she has to be incredibly, like, admiring herself for. But as soon as she started in on it, I was like, oh, this is not going to end well. And she said her piece, and then without even just, like, hesitating, I said, okay, cool. How about I tell everyone what actually happened? And then I told the truth, and then, of course, it was a big big back and forth and there were lots of accusations from people that weren't even privy to the conversation at all and I just sort of was saying look everyone is saying that we shouldn't be focusing what happened in the last 24 hours we should be focusing on what's happened from the start from day one and I said there's people in this room that have been acting suspicious since day one and no one has addressed it except me but you guys are accusing me of not having an opinion um and The fun thing is I was actually supposed to start an argument with Kate as per direction from the producers and she didn't pick up the bait, but Fee did. So then I started fighting with Fee. (laughs) um, Yeah, it just, I, by that stage, I'd actually decided that I was done with the game. I couldn't mentally and physically handle any more of it. Um, And I just thought to myself, look, if I'm going to go out, it's going to be via banishment because I want to have the last word. And that was probably the only time in banishment that I was genuinely really playing up the emotions. Um, It got time to the, like, I was very angry with everyone because I was just so frustrated. And when it came to the vote, I just knew that everyone was going to vote for me because it's the easy way out because that's what we've all been doing. And the votes came through and it was when I received a couple of votes that were very personal that I genuinely started feeling very upset. And I, all the way up until Roger called my name and called me to stand up next to him, I was just like, okay, it's fine. I I get to go home after this. I get to see my friends and family. I get to get my phone back. Like, (laughs) it'll be fine. So yeah, all the way leading up to my, my banishment and my reveal, it was very intense, but I made sure that I kind of went out all on my own terms. Yeah, and your your reveal speech was just so fantastic. Um, was that totally off the cuff? Um, did it feel 
secretly quite good to sort of stick it to everyone right at the end. <laughs> it, it was definitely a planned speech. It was one of the other ones that I'd rehearsed um, because everyone, I was just, I was getting so annoyed with so many faithfuls going home because people had put their, just said the beliefs in the wrong place. And I kind of wanted to shake things up a bit. And my whole aim throughout the entire game was to cause drama and confusion. Um, so I really wanted to sort of stick it to Kate a little bit and being like, I love that you are such an incredible game player, but I really need to shake you up a little bit. <laughs> and same with Fee as well. I kind of wanted to just knock the wind out of her sails a little bit being like, your confidence is misplaced, but it's great. Like, And so when I sort of stood up and delivered my misleading speech, being like, oh, oh, I'm not a hotel concierge, which again, they edited for some stupid reason to say that I'm not just a concierge. Um, and when I revealed that I was an actor, I gave like a little wink to Roger. And I was like, hey, buddy. And then I could see everyone reacting to me like, oh no, he's going to reveal who, that, he's a, um, that he's a trader. And I made sure to look at each person around the table a, so I could kind of see their reactions to see, are you reacting as a trader pretending mm. to be surprised? Yeah. Um, and just to sort of make sure that I cleared over any like negative cracks or anything. Because I, I had snapped at a couple of people and I wanted Kate to know that I wasn't upset with what she did and that Fee wasn't upset by yelling at me or anything. And when I kind of just said, you know, oh, but sorry, guys, I'm actually a faithful. You could see through the room, everyone just going, wait, what? <laughs> and I just like took my little bow and waved and made sure that I like locked eyes with Teresa and it was just like, bye. And yeah. And then the hilarious thing is after I was banished, I was actually kept in a side room while they were out sort of having drinks afterwards. And I could hear them talking and hearing them acting like sounding so confused and Kate sort of saying, I don't know what to think anymore. It was just delicious. <laughs> and I just thought mission accomplished. I've, I've, done exactly what I wanted to do. And hopefully from here on out, the banishments will go very differently. Yeah. There's this fantastic shot actually when you, you've made your speech and there's a shot where you can see Kate and I think Paul and Alex. And I mean, Kate's jaw is literally like hang. It's practically on the table. It's just the best TV ever. It's such a great moment. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Um, and you, 
that that was an interesting time for you to be banished because it was the first banishment room where Alex was now a traitor. And I wanted to ask a couple of questions about your thoughts on the traitors. Um, that that morning after Alex had been recruited, you and Kate were the first two at breakfast. Alex walks in. Did did you have any idea that she was behaving differently or anything at all? The the only two traitors I'd never suspected were Mario and Alex. Um, I, I just had, like, I knew Nigel was a traitor from day one, um, because <laughs> we, we sit next to each other in the banishment room and during the selection process, I, I heard him get selected and I was like, oh, I don't know if this is anything I can go on. So I was making sure to like really keep an eye on him, but he's such a charmer that he just distracted me all the time. Um, <laughs> Alex, oh, she... I absolutely adore Alex. And as soon as I found out that she was a traitor, I was just cheering for her so much. Um, she was one of the only people that never had any accusations thrown at her in that room at all. She was very, very clever in speaking up and, you know, sharing her opinions as well, but in such a clever way that never draw any attention to herself. And she never looked guilty. I am beyond impressed with how she played that game and even seeing Kate through it as well it was incredible and I know like the night that I was supposed to be banished and I wasn't um was also the time that I was first down for breakfast which is very bizarre and of course the first person to come in after me is Kate so we had a moment <laughs> where we were actually together for a bit and I really wanted to sort of just use that time to convince her Kate you are wrong. Like, I'm not a traitor. Come on. Um, but then Alex kind of came in and it would have just been very awkward for us to have that conversation with an unknown traitor sitting right there. But it's, yeah, it was just a very bizarre moment because I think after that, I completely entered the stage. Where I have no idea who is safe to talk to anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. And at what point do you, when did you find out who the traitors were? I mean, was it when you watched the program on TV or or did the players talk amongst themselves, you know, after filming? No, so we... Um, we I, I didn't know exactly who all the traitors were until I watched the first episode, so I found out the same time that the public did, mm -hmm. um, which is it's, it's very weird when you're watching it back because obviously the public know who the traders are from the beginning and seeing a lot of the online comments of people being like, Oh my God, are they so stupid? How do they not notice? I'm like, <laughs> because we literally don't like, um, you guys get the advantage of knowing everything before we do. So it was really interesting seeing it play out again in a completely different scenario and having that sort of pre-existing knowledge as well. And there were a lot of times when I was kind of looking at myself and there was a moment where I was sitting on a couch with Claire and she was talking to me and my friends and I were screaming at me going, no, she's the enemy. Stop talking to her. But it was Claire. She was like, she was like the mum in the group. You didn't, you didn't want to think she was a traitor, but yeah, very bizarre watching her back, knowing who the traitors were from the beginning. Yeah. And uh, my final couple of questions are from uh, Robbie on Instagram. Uh, and Robbie has asked something about about the same thing, about traitors. He says, looking back now, what do you think are more obvious tells someone is a traitor that you missed when you were on the show and in the game? Um, Nigel 
even though I, I had very strong suspicions that he was a traitor from the beginning, um, seeing little things that he would do, it was almost piggybacking off something someone else had said. And he would deliver it in a way that was kind of, it would almost shame you for trying to defend yourself, but it was very well done. Um, Angus, we picked pretty quickly because his whole mood changed. Him and Claire were very similar in how we were able to sort of find out that they were traitors. Their mannerisms just changed completely. And it was almost like it was a weight that was too heavy to bear for them. Um, the hardest part as well is, you know, a production obviously tried to keep us very separate between takes, especially when we're on location doing challenges. Um, and that's when you would notice that a lot of people would sort of let their guard down a bit. So we would, a lot of our little things that we realised actually happened off camera, much to the annoyance of the crew, but um, like the whole Jack and Chloe, uh, Jack and Olivia thing all happened off camera. So they tried to get us to not talk about it. We're like, oh, but it's an entire episode now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it was really bizarre. Like, yeah, the only person that completely stumped me was Marielle. Honestly, had zero idea that she was a traitor. And Alex, of course, by the end. Yeah, And it's really interesting hearing you say that you, from very early on, you thought Nigel was a traitor. Because it seemed, well, up until this point, we're on episode eight of the Traitors Australia. Really, no one has mentioned Nigel at all. And have you, have you watched the UK Traitors I have. I loved the UK version. So I, I spoke to Ivan on the podcast and Ivan said that he knew almost instantly that Amanda was one of the traitors. But, but again, no one ever mentioned that in the show until she was banished. So it's interesting to hear people saying they knew really early on about one of the traitors. Is that because... Do you think... Does that not come up then at, at the at banishment room because... There's no point in you voting for someone when you know no one else is going to. Like, how much of it is sort of political, or how much of it is based on just numbers and statistics? It it is as well. Like, I I thought Paul was a traitor for a moment because he was just so carefree and nothing ever seemed to bother him. And it again, I was getting so frustrated that he would come up in conversation a lot, but no one would ever vote for him. And it was when everyone was sort of saying to me, oh, you, you never have a different opinion. You sort of follow everyone else. That's when I was like, okay, fine. Just to be different, Paul, I think you're a traitor. And he looked really shocked. And he's like, well, I'm not. I'm like, absolutely. Convince me. Like, we'll have a chat. Um, and it, I, it, that's when I kind of started to think, am I the only person playing the game? Is everyone else a plant? Like, how is no one seeing this? And I remember mentioning Kate quite a few times to people because I was so sure that she was a traitor. And um, it was oh, it was just so frustrating. But the whole thing with Nigel is I knew he was a traitor by default uh, from the selection process. And it was obviously something that the production couldn't change, but I could either go into management and be like, oh, yeah, I think Nigel's a traitor. But I there was no evidence to suggest otherwise. Looking back at it now during that, damn lake challenge which i hate <laughs> you look at every single person that ran into the lake and they're all traitors yeah. that, that would have been any like, i'm sure all the viewers at home are watching it going uh guys <laughs> your evidence is right there but we just assumed okay um nigel 
and Angus are very competitive and athletic. Of course they're going to go for a shield. But then I was kind of like, okay, so Nigel's going for a shield, but no one's ever brought him up. That's interesting. And I think I mentioned it to someone as well, but then it just it, it never gets brought up again. And I was getting so annoyed that a lot of my opinions that people were saying I didn't have just weren't coming up. And yeah, yeah it was it was really hard to sort of it's very catch twenty two in that room. It's people accuse you of not having an opinion, but when you do voice an opinion, no one believes you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, lake challenge. I, I, I think even if I was a traitor, there's no way I am diving into that water to try there, and get a shield. I would have given up instantly. There was ice forming on that lake, <laughs> and, and the, the annoying thing is, we had to fill out this whole thing about our phobias, and one of my biggest phobias is open water. And when they were preparing us for the challenge, they just said, "Oh, look." We had no idea that it was water-based, and they just said, if you end up in the water, um, you, we just need to know that you'll be okay to swim, and if you want to take your shoes off or any undergarments, because, of course, I was wearing, like, thermals under my very lovely red tracksuit, <laughs> and we had – I should have known that something was up because they waterproofed our microphones, and um, – I was wearing like all these jumpers and everything. I was like, well, I'm going to take my Tommy Hilfiger jumper off because I don't want to wear that in water. <laughs> but then I was like asking the crew, I was like, can you please tell me what's going on? Otherwise, I'm not doing the challenge. And I was throwing such a tantrum. <laughs> it's like the first moment I was like, okay, people are going to know that I'm an actor because I'm being a bitch on set. Um, <laughs> and then they showed us this lake and I was like, oh, okay, Roger's in a boat. Oh, I can see some pool noodles and floaty devices every day. Okay, maybe we're creating a raft. Hey, this will be fun. And then you just sprung it on us. It's like, oh, yeah, run into the lake now. And usually we get a false start. So we've got, like, we film us pretending to do it, and then they do a reset, and then we do it. But we had no time to prepare. It was just, no, go in and run into this icy water. And I think I made the right choice of not moving from where we were standing on the bank of the lake and just, like, looking in bewilderment. And then I was like, oh, there's miso soup over there. I'm going to get that. (laughs) So... I was in such a foul mood that day because I was like, I looked like, like, just so childish and tantrumy, and yeah, I it distracted me from sort of realizing that the one person I was convinced was a traitor was the first person to run into the water. Yeah. So good times. Yeah. Now uh, I have to go back to Robbie on Instagram for his final question. Um, Robbie asks, "Who is your favorite fellow contestant, and why is it Teresa?" look Teresa just has this personality that makes you no matter what you're feeling just being around her makes you feel so much better um we still keep in contact which is great and I think the greatest thing is we we both never ever voted for each other um even in the the one night where everyone voted for me I think she was the only person that didn't um yep and I don't think I don't know if anyone else voted for anyone else, but yeah, the one moment where I just really felt upset being around her was my final night. And usually we look around the table and we'll catch each other's eyes and sort of be like, are you okay? Like sort of check in. And Teresa wouldn't look at me. And it was the most heartbreaking moment because all I wanted to make me feel better was a virtual Teresa hug. Um And even in the challenges, like when we're in the car, I was, you know, in the car with Matt and Teresa when they were in the middle of their argument and everyone just looked at me going, oh, Dirk, you're going to hate this. (laughs) And I literally was stuck in the back seat like a kid while his parents are arguing in the front. 
and it was the most awkward car ride, but she just, oh, Teresa, I really wanted her to go all the way to the end, but yeah. yeah. And you've actually just reminded me, um, it seems, it seemed a little bit odd to me as a viewer that you guys drove yourselves to the challenges. What was that about? Why didn't they have drivers? <laughs> oh, well, you know, the cost of living crisis. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why. It was interesting because they asked us all if we had driver's licenses. And at the time I didn't. And I was like, oh no, are we going to be like driving go-karts or something? And they were just like, okay, you're just going to get into a car and drive. And I'm like, oh, is this the actual challenge? Um, <laughs> because there were some people that were very confident drivers and some that weren't. Like I remember sitting in the passenger seat next to Matt and I was like, Matt, Matt, there's a, there's a dead end here. Matt, there's a dead end. Matt, turn now. Um, and, you know, a couple of times we got lost, but I don't know. I think it was um, to help sort of split us up a little bit. And, yeah, I don't know. I think they were trying to make it that the crew were very invisible. So if they kind of saw someone driving a car, it kind of just pulls you out of that, um, mm -hmm. the magic of it a little bit. But yeah, I was happy to be a passenger princess for the whole series. So it was fine. <laughs> now, before we conclude our game of betrayal, Dirk, um, where can we find you online? What do you want us to check out? What should people know? Uh, so I have an Instagram account. Uh, that is where you can see all of my uh, little posters, I still work full-time as an actor, so you can see all the shows that I'm doing and everything. Um, that is, I can't remember my handle, <laughs> because I'm not very savvy. Um, I have it, is, it here. There we go. It's just my name, I think. Yeah, it's just uh, Dirk Strachan. Yep. Okay. Now, we've been playing the Trader Traitor. we've been trying to betray one another uh i i think you have lied to me um did you lie to me i have okay i lied to you as well <gasps> uh do you want to uh, who should go first right I, I i'm gonna go first i'm gonna guess i i sometimes i forget to make notes but this time i made several notes as you were speaking i've written down like five things that you could have possibly lied about so <laughs> God, this is the worst first date ever. <laughs> Either I'm a really suspicious person, or you told me lots of lies, or you're just such a good actor that I had no idea what to pick from. Um, I'm going to go for... Uh, okay, I'm going to pick one random one. You, you, meant, you were talking about the catapult challenge, and you said you got to practice that four times. Is that mm -hmm. a lie? Nope. Oh, oh. <laughs> I can tell you though. So we actually completed that challenge in four minutes and, <laughs> and hit every target in the first go. And then like, um, okay, we need to stretch this out for TV. So they made us do it four more times. So it looked very dramatic. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, in that case, you, I, I'm, I'm not going to read out my other guesses. You, if you tell me what you lied about, I'll tell you if that was... And I have a post-it to prove what I wrote down. Um, Dirk, what did you lie to me about? I've never worked with Roger Corsa previously to the show. Oh, that, I didn't write it down, but when you said it, I wondered if that was true or not. But then you were so convincing that I thought, no, no, that sounds plausible. Just casually throw it in, yep. Uh, well done, well done. Yes. Um, any idea what I lied to you about? 
I have no idea. <laughs> I have been trying to think. I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You're really, um, maybe you're, you're French, not Scottish. <laughs> I have no idea. I think you're better at this than I am. I would, if I was really French, I would have an amazing Scottish accent. Um, no, no, that's that's not a thing. Um, my lie was, I made up a story about the Spanish traitors. I Do you know what? I thought because I'm like, no, there's a couple of other series that I've seen, and I was like, oh, I didn't know. I was going to comment and be like, I didn't know Spain was one because I knew there was like a couple of others. I mean, but... that does exist. There, there is traitors of Spania. But I have never seen it. I don't speak Spanish. There is not a subtitled version as far as I know. Uh, so, yeah, I made up a story that a player said the wrong thing and everyone pounced on it. Yeah, so that I, well, I invented an anecdote. I'm sure it's actually happened. So It probably has, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dirk, thank you so, so much. Uh, the podcast listeners will absolutely love this. People have been really excited when I've told them that I'm speaking to you and to some other contestants. So I really appreciate it. I will talk to you soon, I'm sure. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for having me. See you. Bye. Hello, Trader listeners. What a great chat I had with Dirk and what a sport he was to spend so much time with me talking all about the show. Again, you can follow Dirk at his very easy to find Instagram at Dirk Strachan. If you enjoyed the interview with Dirk and my other coverage of the Traitors Australia, please take a little visit to my coffee page. That's K-O-F-I. I research, write, record, edit and deal with the distribution of this podcast completely by myself. I organise guests and operate the social media accounts and I do it because I love the show so much and I enjoy everything about the podcast except the amount of time all of this takes. And I'm doing it all for free. In fact, it's costing me money for things like Zoom Pro and the audio editing software. So if you've been listening in and you want me to keep it up, have a think about visiting coffee.com slash Matthew Keeley. I'll spell it out because that's what you're supposed to do. ko-fi.com slash M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K E-E-L-E-Y and putting in maybe a wee donation. It's not a subscription or a Patreon. It could just be a one-off. Few pounds or dollars or silver bars. Whatever you think a cup of tea or coffee would cost. As always, you can get in touch with me on Instagram at the Tradar Podcast or Twitter at the Tradar Pod or via email at the Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be back with a returning co-host for episode 9, and if you've already watched that episode of the show, you'll know it's a biggie, and I have a biggie interview special to follow that. Until then, stay faithful. <laughs>